Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I get to welcome Dr. Jared Bumpers to the podcast and back in the studio. Of course, Jared serves as co-host here with me of the Preaching and Preachers podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about one of my books, Being a Christian. So, Jared, I'm going to toss the ball to you and let you uh, lead the conversation today. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I want to focus, we're going to talk about your book on being a Christian, uh, but also want to focus on a particular segment of that book and and what it means for a church to be centered around the gospel and what it looks like for a pastor to lead out in gospel-centered ministry within the context of a local church. I guess we're talking then about the, the pastor and the gospel in his church. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I think to set this up, this is, again, a softball question. I know you like these. But if someone's listening and they, they're wondering, okay, before we even get into how the gospel shapes pastoral ministry and life in the local church, what is a succinct summary of the gospel? So if you were to summarize the gospel, um, not, not necessarily for an unbeliever, but for a pastor who's trying to wrap his arms around, okay, well, what does gospel-centered ministry look like? How would you summarize the gospel to a Christian? Yeah, so that's a very good question, and uh, really, it's not a softball. So I should I should correct you there, brother Jared. <laughs> no, I mean in a sense it is right. We're gospel ministers. We all can talk about the gospel. Hopefully, whether it's on an elevator or to a taxi cab driver, some other venue where it's brief. But but I think every gospel minister does struggle with okay, how concise can I make this? Because in a sense, I can talk about the gospel for sixty seconds. Talk about the gospel for sixty minutes. And really, any anywhere in between. Um, I would say, though, when you're talking about the gospel, even in abbreviated form, a couple of minutes summation, really you try to begin with with the God who is, the God who created all that is. So usually for me, I begin with a reminder that look, uh, we're here for purpose, not by accident, but but God initiated, God created. We see that in Genesis one and two, God created all that is. Genesis chapter three, we see, unfortunately, tragically, Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden. And when they did, they plunged all of us, their posterity, into sin too. And so none of us born are right in our thinking. None of us are right in our beliefs. None of us are right in our attitudes and actions, unfortunately. But throughout the Old Testament, just as Adam and Eve plunge us into sin, we see signs of a coming one, a coming Messiah who will make all things right. And the prophets of old are pointing to this one who will come. The sacrificial system is pointing to this one who will come. And so there's this building expectation throughout the Old Testament that someone will come and make right all that went wrong. And then we see this person burst on the scenes when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we boast, Christianity can boast, as the only religion who has a God that became a man, a man who became a Savior, Savior who became a sacrifice. And John pointed to that, and he said, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what do we see? Well, we see the gospel come full bloom in the Gospels when we see Jesus born of a virgin, living a sinless life. Performed signs and wonders unlike any other, taught as no one else had taught, and went to Mount Calvary to suffer, to die for our sins. This God-man, fully God, fully man, willingly laying down his life to redeem a people for his own glory. So Jesus died a literal death. And then as we just celebrated here recently in the context of uh, Easter, he, 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 he rose, experienced a literal resurrection raised from the dead, this great triumphant act wherein his sacrifice is validated by the Father. He appeared to many, and he ascended to heaven. And he's coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. So all humanity fall under the scope 
of that sovereign plan. All humanity falls under the scope of that ultimate final judgment. And all who are redeemed fall under the scope of Christ's sacrificial provision, redemption we've gained through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the issue then is how to respond. And we want to be people who respond in repentance and faith, belief in Jesus as the one who died, as the one who was raised, as the Son of God, and repenting of our sins and giving our lives to Him. So that, that's in seed form. That's kind of the elevator pitch. That's the message that our listeners and ourselves here in the studio that we believed and embraced in a particular moment or season of our lives. And, uh, and that is indeed transformative. And it's not only transformative in that one moment we look back when we came to faith in Christ, but it ought to be an ongoing source of transformation as we grow in Christ and an ongoing source of transformation in our ministries. Yeah, that's a helpful summary. Um, in many ways, a robust form of J.I. Packer's evangelism, the sovereignty of God, you know, where he talks about God, man, Christ, and then the response, repentance, and faith. And then, of course, Paul has a summary in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Romans chapter 1. You have these summaries of the gospel, uh, but but that was that was fantastic. Well, you're kind. Uh, I do think we have to be careful because, you know, these days we like to talk about a lot of things being gospel issues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're, you know, the gospel— in full measure, does have a lot of ramifications. But we have to be careful that we don't so talk about everything being gospel issues that, that we lose sight of what actually is the gospel. And it's hard. It's a rather straightforward, simple message. You know, you mentioned these passages. You know, Paul so powerfully summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, these things I delivered you as a matter of first importance. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, centered around the person, the work, meaning the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, and a good warning too to to be careful when we use the gospel that we're explicit and we're specific. The gospel centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I've joked at times that the gospel has become a junk drawer term. We all have a junk drawer in our house, and you, you know you throw batteries and markers and a Shania Twain CD in there, whatever, and everything goes in that drawer. And if you dilute the gospel, man, you're you're robbing uh, your your church of the power of God to salvation. So. Yes, such an important topic we're talking about today. And as we think about the gospel in the context of the local church, in your book, you make a comment, and I'd love to hear you unpack this. Uh, you said it's important for church members to understand that being a Christian is more than just a couple of spiritual activities in a week. And so love to hear you kind of unpack the importance of the gospel as it relates to Christianity and being a Christian. And again, I think faith in the gospel is central to Christianity over necessarily religious activity. So kind of walk through the balance between those two things. Yeah. So I guess for many of us and many of the listeners, they're from a a context, um, perhaps currently in a context or grew up in a context where spiritual maturity was was really often measured by presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presence. And so like the mature people were there on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and for, you know, Tuesday night visitation, what have you. And, and I want to argue, and I do argue in the book, and would say conversationally with our listeners, the gospel is both more than and less than that. And I want to be careful that we, we don't see the gospel as kind of a to-do list religion, a, a, a must-do, must-not-do religion, where you're letting go some, some, uh, some, some words and some deeds that, that, that one who names Christ ought not, ought not say and do. But at the same time, it's more than just like, uh, okay, you're going to Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night Bible study, whatever, Sunday night service, if your church has that. And many of us came out of that context where faithfulness was marked by presence, and you kind of could tabulate the most spiritually mature were those who were there, like, quote, every time the doors open. And I'm from that background, and I know yeah. from talking to you, Jared, you, know, you, you experienced much of that as well. And again, that's not bad. I mean, there are worse places to be on Sunday night than with God's people. So don't, don't hear me, like, throwing that out. I'm not at all. 
But I'm saying we have to be careful not to draw a line between attendance or presence and spiritual maturity. It's more than that. It's all of our lives being delighting in Christ, being satisfied in Christ, reflecting the joy of Christ. So on the one hand, it's both more and less. So you can be satisfied in Christ, delighting in Christ, living for Christ day to day in your home, in your in your community, in your place of work, without having 17 different appointments you know, the church is street address per week. So it's more than, it's less than. It's not legalism. It's less than that. It's delighting in Christ, resting in Christ. But it's more than because we want the gospel to permeate actually how we do order our families, how we do respond to our employer, how we do engage our community, how we do coach Little League, how we do interact with our barber, how we do interact with the gal who processes our, our, our shirts at the, at, the, at the dry cleaners and so forth. It, it should radiate through all of that. Yeah, and your book does a, a helpful job of drawing a line between the gospel and all of these different areas. And today, again, we're, we're focusing kind of on the, the local church and how the gospel impacts our understanding of the church. Would love to hear you talk about the importance that or the ongoing importance, I should say, of the gospel and the life of the Christian. And so, of course, a person cannot become a Christian apart from hearing and believing the gospel. You know, Paul makes that argument in Romans uh, chapter 10. But a person hears the gospel, they respond in faith to the gospel, they confess Christ is Lord. What is the ongoing importance of the gospel in the life of a Christian? Yeah, I understand a number of different ways. First of all, before I get to the, the individual, the personal, let me say a word about the local church as a whole. And again, here's where we have to be careful that the gospel is just not a tack on our preaching. And, and again, it's easy to fall in that where you preach a 35-minute sermon or 40-minute sermon that may or may not really be in any obvious way connected to the gospel, the work of Christ. And then you kind of make a, a final 90-second dash to the cross. Well, there are worse things than doing that, like leaving That's the right. cross out altogether. That's right. But hopefully our sermons are flavored with the gospel throughout. And as opposed to a very predictable tack on to the end that folks tune you out for, Hopefully throughout the sermon, there's a place to, in a focused way, say, if you're busy with us today and, and you don't know Christ, this is a great place for me to remind you that, boom. And so I did that yesterday. I mean, we're recording this on uh, the Tuesday after after Resurrection Sunday. And, you know, I'm preaching a sermon on Christ's resurrection, obviously. But uh, within that, you know, I said something like, you know, it would be ministerial malpractice for me to assume today in a crowd this size, Easter Sunday, everyone here knows, knows Christ and has a saving relationship with him. So let me pause right now and remind us, you know, remind you what the gospel is and what it means to embrace Jesus. Yeah, it works. Most every church, you have Easter bunnies hopping in, right? Yep. And so uh, and so speaking a specific word to them, because some people think, you know, I mean, I, I was saved when I was 18 or 24, and I'm going to pop in a couple times a year, and, and, you know, once saved, always saved, and I'm good. And, and I'm kind of sweetly saying, actually, you're not, mm. you know. And so I, I would say congregationally, within the context of the sermon, reweaving, reweaving, reweaving the gospel. I would also say congregation within the lives of the ministry, drawing lines to, okay, like, we're going to Nicaragua because people there need Jesus. Mm. We're having an extravaganza on Saturday because people in our community need Jesus. We're going to undertake certain initiatives and outreaches, just not merely to grow our congregation, but we hope to actually grow the kingdom where people are coming to faith in Christ. And then, more to your question, the life of the gospel in our lives personally. Like, I think that that is key. And again, maybe I'm getting nostalgic because I'm older or whatever, more sentimental, but but for me, leading up to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday was a profoundly spiritual and even emotional few days for me. And I wasn't at home crying by the hour. I'm not really a crier, but as far as just feeling in a more pronounced way, what it means to experience and to delight in Christ's death for me, Christ's death for those I love who are following him, et cetera. And again, I think the older we get, we, we should, as we're growing in spiritual maturity, we're, we're increasingly aware of our own fallenness. We're increasingly aware of our need of a Savior, 
increasingly aware of all that we gain through Christ. And so Easter, the fullness of that week, is, is a deeper, a more visceral sense of all that we gain through Christ. And so I think for the minister, continuing to reflect on the gospel and delight in the gospel, first of all, is essential for our own personal spiritual formation and ongoing spiritual vitality. Then, as you work out from that, you can draw a line from that to just a faithful, fruitful ministry, that you're, you're ministering to God's people in light of Christ's death, in light of what he's done for you, in light of the resurrection power within you. You're doing that. And so I think that that helps to bring endurance to our ministry, perseverance to our ministry, hopefully power to our ministry, joy to our ministry. And then we are, again, hopefully growing with each passing year in a deepening sense of, of the cross of Christ. And so, you know, someone said, I know this is not unique to me, but I heard someone say eons ago that a believer, you have to continue to reflect on the cross. And they said, you know, when the, the, they use the analogy of it being like in the rearview mirror. And so, man, if you were saved a week ago, a month ago, it's right there in your rearview mirror. It's fresh, it's pronounced, it's sweet, it's real. But as a month turns into a year, a year turns into five years, a year turns into a decade, and now for me it's you know some 25-plus years since I became a believer. If you're not careful, that is a real distant event in your rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. It's something back then you kind of sort of remember, kind of sort of recall with fondness. But, but it ought not be that way. It needs not be rearview mirror, period, and it's really not need be in our distant rearview mirror. But it's an ongoing part of our just our, our personal spiritual lives. As we're reading the Bibles, we're worshiping, we're cross-centered, and it's not just in our past. In a very real sense, it's in our present. And in a real sense, it's even our future as we look forward towards future grace and what God has done for us past and present, and that brings certain assurances about what He will do for us in the future. Yeah, pra- praise the Lord. And that, of course, we're following Jesus, pursuing Him, but there are times where we're disobedient, we fail to do what God calls us to do, and our, our forgiveness in the present is contingent on Christ's work in the past. And so even the power to live the Christian life and obey those commands is grounded in the transformative power of the gospel. And so we want to cling to the gospel, as you said, and remember that and not let it be in the rearview mirror. That's a helpful analogy. Thank you. So as we think about, okay, a pastor embraces the gospel and is living out the gospel, what are some ways that a, a gospel-centered ministry will transform a church. So what does it look like in a church when the pastor begins to embrace the gospel, preach the gospel consistently? What are some ways that that might uh, express itself in the life of a church? Yeah, so I would say, first of all, we understand that the church is a little microcosm of the kingdom of God. The church is this kingdom colony, this outpost. And so God's people fundamentally ought to be and look and function differently than the than the community, okay? And if you're in a quaint part of town where folks are generally even killed and prone to niceness, then, then, uh, then, it, then there may be some resemblances there. But that's yeah. usually not where most of us live, right? right. Um, and so it ought to be. And I would say the signature mark of that difference ought to be the word redemption, that we're a community of the redeemed, that we interact with one another redemptively, where confession is normal, forgiveness is normal, apologies are normal, acceptance of apologies are normal, acts of grace are normal, acts of mercy are normal, um, organic ministry to one another, organic community and fellowship with one another. For all that looks and feels and sounds distinct from the world around, there's a sweetness there that people perceive and want to be a part of. So I think redemption is, is really a key word when it looks at what's a defining mark of a local church from the community, from the unbelieving world as a whole. Redemption, not just what Christ has done, but then that working itself out redemptively one with another. So I'm not sure that's kind of what you're after or not, but let me just start there. Yeah, that's very good. I'll just move on to another question I think may kind of put a bow on this. You mentioned earlier the pastor preaching 
Christ and, and the gospel in sermons. I'd love for you to even tease that out a bit more, but what are some other ways? How can preachers pursue or pastors pursue gospel-centered ministry in, in their church? And so what does that look like? Think preaching, counseling, corporate worship, prayer, songs, all, all, all the above. Yeah, so I'm kind of wrestling with whether or not to get more tactically or strategically. So tactically meaning more, you know, the more minute level, strategically the macro. I think I'll go with the macro, the strategic. I think it's a mindset. It's a mindset that, look, the gospel is not merely like the price of entry. And in many churches is that way. Like, that's your ticket. Hmm. Okay, have you believed in Jesus? Yes. Okay, have you been baptized? If yes, okay, you get in. If not, let's baptize you, then you get in. So it's kind of this, this criteria for entry or terms of entry. In a sense, that is true. That The con- gospel is a doorway we walk through in conversion as an entrance, entrance way into the room of God's, God's family. But it's so much more than that. And so you should be able to draw a line from every ministry to the gospel, either on the front end or the back end of it. And so, and so you better, should be able to draw a line from the gospel, meaning the gospel of the Great Commission, to your church's budget. Okay, what does this mean about how we actually allocate our resources that God has given us to, to steward? How do we draw a line from the gospel to the composition of our worship services? Okay, you know, are we going to preach the word and sing the word and pray the word and, and read the word? Are we, we going to do that or not? Okay, well, then if we are, then all of that should have a gospel touch point, a gospel flavor to it. To speak very naturally, organically about conversion, okay? So, so let, me, let me just pause here for a moment. For God's people, to talk about conversion ought to be, you know, the most natural thing to talk about, to talk with people about, hey, you know, do you know Christ? And not so much in a confrontational, off-putting, I- I'm feeling you out to know whether or not you're, you're in the secret club or not. But just in a natural sense, are you following Christ? You know, I think I think some churches and some communities are better about that than others as far as that just being, you know, as natural as asking, are you a Chiefs fan? As natural as asking, are you a Royals fan? As natural as asking, where do you work? Or how many kids you have to say? Or, are you a believer? And to ask that in a way that that's natural to bring an authentic, natural response. And uh, where I've seen God really work in churches is where, where that's a natural part of the conversation. There are other churches and communities where, man, it, that, that could come across as like being unnecessarily stark or necessarily pointed or, or like you're trying to kind of sift the crowd and not that, you know, the crowd should never be sifted, but, it, but it's not natural. It sounds, sounds forced. And uh, I think it's key to talk naturally about the gospel, naturally about one's um, belief in the gospel, naturally about one's opportunities to share the gospel. And I think as a minister, as a preacher, you have to be careful that you don't sound like you're patting yourself on the back. But it's a good thing to say, hey, I, I got to share the gospel this week. Would you pray for this person? I was on an airplane, had this conversation. Had my oil, oil changed, had this conversation. In a restaurant with the waitress, that conversation. And strategically drawing your folks' attention to gospel moments, gospel opportunities will strengthen them. It will embolden them. It'll make it where they understand, no, this is like when you're with God's people, it's natural to talk about God's message. When you're the body of Christ, it's natural to talk about the gospel of Christ. It's just what we do. It's how we function. And so that, that's what you want to cultivate. That's what you want to foster. Yeah, that's great. If somebody's listening, I'm just thinking about the pastor who says, okay, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm trying to preach the gospel regularly, but it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be much gospel fruit. How, how would you encourage that pastor? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I would say, um, and I mean this sweetly. Uh, sincerely, not sarcastically, but I wrote a book on preaching, uh, letters to my students on preaching, and talk a little bit more about just preaching and, and drawing attention to Christ within the context of our own study and how we proclaim 
the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would say as it relates to the church itself and the ministry, a couple of things. First of all, I, I would, again, I would look to have the gospel in Christ featured in every sermon, in every worship service, in every ministry. Amen. Okay. Sermon, yeah. worship service, ministry. Sermon, worship service, and ministry. So your, you know, your neighbors may think this is just an egg hunt, and maybe it is 95% egg hunt, but there are lines you're drawing from the egg hunt to the Lord's day and to mm-hmm. the Lord's people and to the Lord's message, okay? So you're intentional about that. And I realize that some outings and some events and some ministry undertakings, that's going to be you know a straight line, some is going to be more of a jagged line. But that's a part of it. The next thing I, I would say is to be intentional. I do think it's appropriate to measure. And I'm not a hyper-pragmatic, you know, where, you know, you're always counting baptisms and attendance and giving. So I'm not too pushy on that. But I do think it's appropriate to track things and be mindful. Okay, what's God seen to be doing the past five years in our church, the past two years, the past year? Where does God seem to be working? Where does he not seem to be working? And then to also track our efforts. I think that's a better way than, you know, setting, you know, next year we're going to baptize 20 people come hell or high water. Well, you actually need God to work in the hearts of people, so you don't control that, right? But you can say next year we're praying that God will give us, you know, 2,000 evangelistic conversations as a church, making that number up. 200 visitors that we can share the gospel with. So you're putting those goals around what you will seek to mobilize God's people to do and what you personally will discipline yourself to do. Believing by faith that as the church is more on mission and more focused and more prioritizing and raising high the banner of mission trips, Great Commission, gospel conversations, gospel moments, that God will use that and God will be pleased to grow His church and you will see some numeric, quantifiable results on the back end, hopefully, as you're more intentional on the front end to focus your energy and to, and to focus God's people on these ends. Yeah, that's a good framework for kind of shifting the way that we measure. You know, our metrics oftentimes are, you know, how many baptisms we have. And that's not a bad thing, and you should track that. But how many people are we sharing the gospel with? How many mission trips are we taking? You're focusing more on the things that are in your control rather than than conversions, which are outside of your control. God has to intervene in the hearts of man. Yeah, Earl, I mean, this is, I'm going back 20 years now, uh, actually more than more than 20 years, adopted a goal of ministry, you know, especially when I was pastoring full-time, to have a specific, like, share my faith gospel conversation three times a week. And look, mm-hmm. you know, I've fallen walls far short of that for, you know, many days, many weeks, many years. But even having that reference point, and so now I'm obviously full-time seminary president. I, I do get to serve uh, as part of a shared ministry team, uh, preaching, teaching, ministering local church here as well. But to even in my own heart to know, like, okay, like, when did I last share the faith? and uh, share my faith. And again, it was uncanny how over the years, um, as I'm more focused, even have that personal goal before me, how God's used that. And so I would say, don't be afraid to have that, even some own sense of some personal accountability as to some some real targeted senses of, of what you hope to accomplish on the gospel front. Yeah, I still, I'm not quite as ambitious as you, but I still have a goal to share the gospel at least once a week to have one intentional gospel conversation with somebody. And so I would echo that as well. If you're listening, man, having a goal to share the gospel consistently is a good thing. I'd love to wrap up with an encouraging story about maybe uh, maybe someone in your church or in in your uh, sphere of ministry that the gospel you see gospel fruit in their life, and so the gospel is powerful, it's transformative, and so do you have anything off the top of your head where man God is really working in this particular ministry or this particular church or this pastor friend's church or this member of our yeah, church? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, man, there's so many things that are flooding through my mind right now, Jared. So many things. Let me do this. Let me go back, rewind the clock 20 years. And I'll, I'll tell you why, not that I have to go two decades back to get a gospel analogy, but uh, this couple came to my attention recently. It's my wife and I were talking about a couple we lost track with on social media. But, you know, it's always awesome to see people come to faith in Christ, right? And this was a couple. He was an officer in the military. She was 
was his spouse. They both were unbelievers. They were brought to our church as visitors through a mutual friend. I'm, I'm pastoring now in the context of Fort Knox, Kentucky, in reference here. And uh, they both came to faith in, faith in Christ. So they both came to Christ or their kitchen table. And I won't get into the, the nuts and bolts of that, but it was one of these kind, providential moments that God's working. Well, you say, now, why are you sharing a story 20 years ago? I'm sharing a story from 20 years ago because, by God's grace, 20 years later, they're still following and serving Christ in leadership mm-hmm. roles in their local church. And, and guys, they came from like nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. We're like, this is the gospel of John. Here's how to find it. You know, this, this is where yeah. this began, okay? And man, they were on fire for the Lord. We got to invest in them in a very direct way for couple, several years there. And then over the years, some spotty interaction, like every couple of years, then every five years. And then, and then before you know, it's been a long time. And then Karen and I came across them recently on social media. And just so awesome to see uh, they're still faithfully serving their church, their kids, and just, again, a true gospel transformation. And, uh, man, those stories, those people, especially when you see long-term fruit from them, that's what makes ministry so worth it. Yeah. For, friends, if you're listening personally, corporately, man, em- embrace the gospel, seek to live it out. It's the power of God to salvation to those who believe. So, so yeah, thank you, Dr. Allen, for for your work here. And I'll turn it over to you to, to wrap us up. Yeah, no, thank you, Jared, for co-hosting. Such a delight to have this podcast. Grateful for our listeners. Again, know there are many resources out there. You have a lot of demands on your time as as ministers and seminary students and all those who comprise our listenership. So, so we want to do our very best to strengthen you, your calling, your ministry, and all the Lord has entrusted to you. So thank you for the privilege of that stewardship. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.